it's an indictment of the defense. It's an indictment of the game they got into, but it is an indictment of the goalkeeping. It was like he got GPS on his skating and, and he found the net. There does seem to be something building here where, where each game is getting a little bit chippier. I'm the quintessential garage band, four on the floor type of drummer. Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode 88, as we pick apart the wild events of what happened in the Islanders' 5-4 Game 3 loss as playoff hockey returned to Nassau Coliseum. That puts the Islanders in a 2-1 series hole. Going into Saturday afternoon's Game 4, and hi, I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday, and I'll be joined as I am during the playoffs by Colin Stevenson. You can find him on Twitter, Colin S. Newsday, and Newsday columnist, and uh, raconteur, Neil Best. He's at Sportswatch. And if you hear the sounds of demolition in this podcast, that's because they're tearing the house uh, uh, Neil Best, the, the house next to Neil Best, which I guess is no longer a best house. Um, it, it is coming down today. So Neil yeah. will do his best to find a quiet spot in his still standing abode. So gentlemen, down 2-1, what, what did we make of that 5-4 game? And how much hope do the Islanders have coming out of that for Saturday's game four? Let me start with Neil, since it seems to be quiet in your neck of the woods right yeah, now. I just, I just moved to another room, but maybe the demolition's a metaphor of some kind for the series. I don't know. Um, well, first of all, that third period was, you know, after two periods, I was kind of like, wow, this is sort of depressing. The fans are back. The Islanders look terrible. This is just going to be a dud of an experience for everyone. And of course, the third period turned into be incredibly entertaining, wild and wacky. And if you were an impartial observer or a Penguins fan, you came away really happy. But, you know, obviously this is the playoffs and the Islanders are in big trouble now. So, um, yeah, obviously they can get back in the series. I mean, there's been three one goal games, but, uh, you know, three, three terrible, you know, three games in a row where they were the, 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 the Penguins were the better team early and. There's just a lot of bad signs, you know, including shaky goaltending. So fun game, very interesting to be at. The fans did a great job of getting into it, but the Islanders are obviously in trouble. Colin? Yes. What he said. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll actually have time to get plenty from Colin in this episode. We have plenty to go over in addition to the goings-on with Game 3. We'll look ahead to Game 4. We've got some uh, questions lined up uh, via Islanders Newsday text. And I should mention that if you are interested in Islanders uh, or Newsday's Islanders text, which is your direct con- connection to one-on-one communication with me, you can text 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766 or go to newsday.com backslash Isles text to start your 14-day trial subscription. And after we do some Andrew's answers, I've got a couple of questions for the boys, uh, a couple of Andrew's questions. And then at some point, and this is called the teaser um, in the biz, at some point I'm going to walk this computer into my garage and do a very short drum solo. 
So you've got all that to look forward to. And uh, let us focus for a little bit here on the Islanders. And and obviously, and, and again, I, I want to save the bulk of this conversation for Andrew's answers because we do have a lot of questions on this. But we, we all agreed, uh, I think everyone agreed, that that was not Semyon Varlamov's best game in, in game Game three, I think Barry Trotz agreed. He was asked after the game whether he got enough from Semyon Varlamov in that game. And Barry, with a very lukewarm to tepid response, which was, I'm going to have to look at it because sometimes your first reactions aren't necessarily correct. So I have to assume his first reaction to that game was that Semyon Varlamov did not give the Islanders enough in game three. It was interesting because in game two, obviously the first goal was just indisputably an awful goal. But 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 it, the weird thing about these goals he was letting up in game three were, you know, they weren't necessarily obvious, just you know, flubs and just just where there was no other uh, elements going on, so they could put it all on the goalie. However, the cumulative performance of just you know the totality of those goals just were not a good look for him, and he should he's got to be better than that. And I do think that will result in a change. When Barry Trotz comes out and says, we scored four goals, we've got to win. It's an indictment of the defense. It's an indictment of the game they got into, but it is an indictment of the goalkeeping as well. You know, some there are some games when a goalie gives up five goals and you go, wow, he could have given up 10. But I, I think this was a game where, you know, he gave up five goals and maybe maybe it should have been three goals. I, I don't know. Colin, how did you see it? No, I mean, I think what Neil said is 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 right. I mean, I, I don't I don't have any problem with any goal individually. That that goal by uh by by Carter there, the one that was a that was a goal scorer's goal. He picked he picked the corner yeah. and uh, beat him on the on the wing. And then and the other one was a was kind of a rush where the guy's coming in from the off wing and and picks a good spot. I mean I don't I don't have any issue with any goal in particularly where I say that's a bad goal necessarily, but Neil, you're right. I mean, you, you have to find a way and especially, and Varlamov has, has shown us that he's found the way. I mean, like, listen, they're down one, nothing and they take a penalty and, and you think, geez, if they go down two nothing, this is going to be really, really bad. And, and he came up big in that, in that PK, he was, uh, you know, he was their best penalty killer on that particular PK. So, I mean, it's, it's not like, I think, you know, he was awful. Um, it's just that he wasn't spectacular like, like he was in game two. And, and right now, you, you know, the, the situation being what it is, you're, you're down two to one. Um, and it is, you know, we have to say it's a must win. Uh, his game is a must win. So you, you just can't, you can't afford him to be anything less than spectacular in game four. And if you can't trust him to be spectacular, then you got a problem. You know, I do want to point out Brandon Tanev's uh, uh, game winner there. I, I know uh, Tanev plays on, on the Penguins' fourth line, but that was, that was a quality goal. That was a talented quality goal. The puck is kind of floating at the crease and, and, and Tanev has the presence of mind because he, he swatted it in at, at a midair, but he has the presence of mind to wait for the puck to come underneath the crossbar. So he's not called for hitting it with a high stick and then he swats it in. 
Varley was, he started that play sort of on the wrong post. He was over to his left and Tanov was at the other post. And, and that's why, you know, Tanov had a little bit of time to do that and, you know, a lot of net to swat it into. But I, I thought that was a really, uh, a really skilled play on, on Tanov's part. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a play that, you know, you, you would expect, you know, Sidney Crosby to make, you know, or, or somebody like that. And, and um, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, that's not, I mean, I, I can't kill Varlamov for, for that goal either. You know, it's just the timing of these things and, and kind of, you got to find a way and, and uh, you know, but you can't, you can't just write it off the bad luck either. So, I mean, you, you know, at some point if, 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 if he is 0-2, <laughs> you know, the other guys won't know. So, you know, at some point you got you to gotta look at the bottom line. I was just going to say the bigger picture of the, the, you know, this, you know, the fact that they screwed up their momentum every single time they got a goal, uh, that was not just on Varley. I mean, it was on the defense, it was on taking a penalty. It's just the, 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 the team's ability to, to, you know, come back and make that a, a great, interesting game was obviously undermined by just – Every yeah. time they did something, they screwed something up. Yeah, you know what I thought, Neil? Uh, I, I remember thinking this as I watched it, the, the clutterbook penalty, the yeah. goalie interference. Like, you just can't do that. You yeah. just can't. You've, you've, uh, you've got all the momentum on your side. And, and I know, you know, whatever. It's, they give up a goal, he gets the goal back. So, I mean, listen, guys make mistakes and stuff happens. But um, that, I think, to me, you know, if I had to pick, you know, a place where it went wrong, I mean, I would put more emphasis on that play. I mean, that is a penalty all day long. And I know Barry said it was light. And, you know, I, I disagree with Barry on that one. That's, that's a penalty all day long. And it's one that you simply cannot take. And, 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 and then if you take it, you have to kill it. Right. And they, and they don't kill it. So, um, and it was quick too. I mean, and, and, and Malkin and Carter had all the space in the, in the world along the left side to operate on, on that power play. So that, that was bad all around, you know, I, I'm glad you, you also bring up Sidney Crosby because, you know, we, we had talked about maybe it was a missed opportunity for the Islanders in Pittsburgh, not to come away with the two nothing lead without Malkin in the lineup for the first two games. To me, this is a missed opportunity for the Islanders in game three, when they do such a good job on, on Sid Crosby's line. Um, no points for Sydney, uh, Jake Gensel or Brian Rust. And Sydney is held to two shots and the Islanders still can't, get a win out of it and, and and you're not going to do that to Sidney Crosby's lines all too frequently so I, I did see that as a missed opportunity as well it's also a missed opportunity because you get <clears throat> two goals really three goals out of your fourth line the two clutterbuck goals that you get out of your fourth line I mean you get you get that that kind of performance from those guys and and you you really need to take advantage of it so you know it's missed all opportunities all around but you know that's that's playoff hockey, right? I mean, and, and the beauty of it is, you know, they get a good game tomorrow and, uh, and it's a best of three with two games in Pittsburgh. Well, Sydney did make a hell of a um, defensive play on Brock Nelson, which probably would have tied the game. You know, that when I argue with people about Ovechkin or Sydney as the best player of the 21st century, I usually pick Ovechkin and people tell me I'm nuts because Sydney does so many other things. Uh, but that was an example of a play that, 
maybe Alex Ovechkin doesn't do that to Brock Nelson. I don't know, but that was pretty impressive to see what Crosby did there. So one thing we, we should also touch upon is, you know, because we had mentioned it after games one and two is that Matthew Barzell did not have the best two games in Pittsburgh and Colin wrote about that after game two, but Matthew Barzell definitely showed up in, in game three. Um, he had, I believe it was, uh, let's see, five shots. How many shots did he, yeah, he had five shots. Uh, he had, uh, two assists and, uh, he was definitely noticeable throughout the game. Now, you know, Jordan Everly, after having four goals and four games in the 2019 first round sweep of the, uh, of the Penguins does not have a goal yet in this series. And we've discussed ad infinitum, Anders Lee not being around and Leo Komarov playing on that line, but. I, I thought it was a good sign that uh, Matthew Barzell was a lot more noticeable in, in game three, uh, you know, in his 1725 uh, of ice time. Um, still needs work in, in the face-off circles as he won only one of six face-offs, but we, you know, that's not his forte. And generally, you know, Barry's got Leo Komarov taking a lot of those face-offs anyway. So uh, what did you guys see out of uh, Barzi? And uh, do you think this is a starting off point for him, Neil? Well, as you guys know, I've had a complicated uh, um, history of thinking about that guy's game because it's so, there's things about it that drive you nuts and, Things he does that I'm sure drive his coaches nuts. I know drive his coaches nuts, but but there's just no question when you see him, you know, being a dynamic player like he was in Game Three, uh, and can make things happen. And they need that kind of guy. They're going to need him to keep doing that to have any chance. So yeah, obviously, um, after a very quiet two games, he was he was he was noticeable, and uh, eventually that's going to turn into goals and more assists. And I thought he looked good. Hey, Colin, and, and you, you had written about Barzi, as I mentioned. What, what, if any specific differences you saw in his game, you know, and it started, uh, to me, it started late in game two, maybe the last period, uh, last 25 minutes of that game, where all of a sudden his, you know, it, it was like he got GPS on his skating and, and he found the net and he was going towards the net. Um and I thought he continued that in game three. Anything other specifics or was that the main thing to you? No, I mean, I, I think uh, I think you're right. I mean, I, I agree that he um, his game started to pick up in the, in the latter part of game two, uh, in the latter part of, of the second period of game two. Um, and and obviously it's it's uh, trending in the right direction now. Um, and, and that's good. I mean, Barry said, listen, that, that's a good sign. And, and, and you hope that he keeps going forward but of course ultimately it all comes down to having more goals than the other team does at the end so when he's uh when he's going well he can be spectacular but but he can also you know he can he can also be frustrating in that um you know he he, he uh can turn the puck over when you when you think you know yeah just dump it in or just pass it to somebody and and and, and you know give up the puck and stuff so he's got to figure it out i mean and if he doesn't let's let's be frank about this if, if he doesn't figure it out they're not going to be serious i mean, I mean we, we yeah we 
Yeah, we talked about that. Fir that first line is just so weird, right? Now. Like the, it's just hard to imagine a a Stanley Cup champion with that with that first line as it's currently operating. Well, uh, I'm, Neil, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the stats right now. I mean, so Barzal has 17, 17 minutes and twenty five seconds of ice time, right? Uh, Komarov has eleven forty nine. So you know he's not. You know, it's, he's not out there every time that uh, Barzal is out there. Now, obviously, well, Barzal is also – he was also out for the power play, of four minutes of power I play. That. I get that. But it's not like uh, – it's not six minutes of power play time. You know what I mean? Like, it's uh, it's uh, it's four minutes of power play time. And, and Komarov's out there on, on PK time, too. So, yeah. uh, like he's he's uh, he's moving him around, and, and I think that that's what you have to do. I mean um, – you know, I think ice times tell you tell you uh, a, a good uh, part of the story if you if you just kind of look at that in a box score. I mean, I, you know, I'm looking for instance, Andy Green played 13:58, which doesn't strike me as a lot. You know, especially considering uh, Noah Dobson played 17:17. So, I mean, what's going on with Andy Green there? I'm, I'm curious to know what Colin, what it's like for Colin covering a, a team now that. Um, you know, like hits people and gets into scraps <laughs> and stuff. And is this is this like a culture shock for you after a year of the Rangers? Uh, it's definitely different. Uh, you know, a lot of north south skating and um, a lot of net front. Uh, you know, the last time that the, the Rangers got involved in a net front thing, you know, Tom Wilson body slammed Artemi Panarin. I mean, <laughs> you know, I think the Islanders probably could use a little bit more of that east west stuff. I mean, in Barzell seems to be the only guy that that can play that way i mean you would think bovillier could do it as well but uh it really seems to be barzal the only yeah, he, you know bo bo is a is a great skater but he really is kind of a 200 foot north south type of guy you know as um hey, speaking of that physicality and that was kind of a wild scene seeing five yeah. players from each team sitting on each other's laps in in the penalty box um, and, and the Islanders did manage somehow to get a power play out of that. And, and again, it, it, it came from attacking the crease. The, the Islanders were interested in Jerry's face, you know, after they got past their bad start again. They, they were interested in Jerry's face a lot of the night. And, and they were playing very physically at, at, at the Penguins net. And, and the Penguins didn't like it. And it, it erupted in the third period. And, and how much of a, a spillover? I know, you know, the guys always say that's playoff hockey, but there does seem to be something building here where, where each game is getting a little bit chippier. Um, a, a Saturday afternoon, game four, does it start with that chippiness in the first period? And does it have to for the Islanders? Because that's when they're engaged in their game and they can't afford another slow start. Yes, 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 yes. Now that's an Islander. That's an Islander slogan, I think. Just a few more yeses. <laughs> that was not intentional, but I'll take it. No, I, uh, it, it, as you know, I mean, I wrote about that uh, for Friday's website story. Um, I, I just kind of, I, I, I rewound the tape. Uh, I recorded the game and, and was looking at that that whole mess and um, and and just sort of did kind of a blow by blow of it because I thought it was interesting. And it does start with them going to the net. I mean, it's a, 
you know, the whole thing starts with, uh, you know, Pajo throws a, a bad angle shot and Jari is like scrambling or whatever. And he drops down and he blocks it while Mary goes to the net, Wallstrom goes to the net and all hell breaks loose. And, you know, and then it was kind of, it was kind of funky. And it is, it was one of those things where, you know, the, the usual pushing and shoving breaks out and then it kind of calms down and then somebody does something and it starts up again. And, and the others end up with a power play out of it because Jake Gensel, for what reason I do not know, skates up to a guy who's being escorted to the penalty box, this being Palmieri, and just slashes him for no reason. And, and I, I don't know why. I mean, why would you do that? Everybody's going off. It's going to be, you know, manpower is going to be even. It's going to be five on five. And he just goes up and, and whacks the guy for, I mean, I don't know what he said. Maybe he said something. Who knows? But I, I do think that, you know, what that shows you is that that is how the Islanders need to play. And, and, and you guys know, I have been killing Tristan Jari. This <laughs> I mean, I just have no faith in this guy. And, um, and, and I don't think he looked particularly great uh in, in game three to he, be gave honest. Up, what, he gave up four goals he but, can't do that in the playoffs you know on, on that on that mayfield goal when he had the little delay to let the defenseman get out of the way it looked like he took he took a pause he looked at jerry he's like yeah i'm, I'm supposed to go for the glove I, you know i have to go high gloves so he just like made a little turn and put it right there because these guys have to be just you know completely focused on that guy's glove yeah and then and and I think, listen, I don't want to make too much of this, but I think the fans singing Jari Jari, I mean, that's, uh, you know, I mean, the fans know. I mean, this guy's not that good. And so, listen, does it mean that the Islanders are going to win because the guy is not that good? No, of course not. Because, you know, they still have to stop the puck when the Penguins shoot it, and, and they still have to do the work to get, you know, I mean, in game two, I don't think they had any clean looks at Jari at all. So, and they only scored the one goal. So, they still have to do what they have to do. And what they have to do is crash the net and get in this guy's eyes. And, and then when they do get a clean look, shoot high glove. I, I, I will say this, and I still, I'm not ready to, to throw the Islanders under the bus in this series. I picked them in seven, so I'm going to stick with that, right? But if the Penguins do go on to win this series, and we're, we're talking about Tristan Jarry. I think either the Washington Capitals or the Boston Bruins are going to brutalize that guy in the second round. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, either team, I see them beating the Penguins in about four or five games. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's not over yet. I mean, I, I think the Islanders can beat them in six or seven. I no, mean, no, no, uh, no. I, I, I started with I'm not throwing the Islanders under the bus. I, I, I still got them in seven. I'm just saying if it, it does happen to go the other way, because things can always go the other way, I, I, I don't see Jerry being able to stop an Alex Ovechkin with consistency. You know, well, and, and that's a, the thing about it. You know, if, you, if you're looking at the long term, I mean, it's four rounds of playoffs. You're going to go two months. Yeah. You know, I, it's hard for me to imagine them going all the way with this guy in the goal. And that, and again, that's not necessarily, I mean, I know it sounds bad and I'm disparaging him and I don't mean to, I just don't think he's elite. You know, I think he's kind of, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's adequate. Um, Matt Murray, say what you will about him. I, I was never terribly impressed with him. Right. The last, goalie they had as far as I'm concerned was flirt you know and and so it's like that that's just how their team is structured their, their team is is built 
you know, around Crosby and Malkin and they're going to outscore you and, uh, and, and, and they'll hopefully score more goals than you. And they, and they've got a guy that'll, that'll stop some basic shots. And that's what this guy is. I don't think it's enough to get them through two months uh, and to lift the cup, but that's not important right now. <laughs> What's important is, is, you know, is, is going to get them through the first series, which, you know, it remains to be seen. Now, Neil and I were at Nassau Coliseum for the game. Colin was was at home, and, the, and those positions will be switched for game four, so Colin will be joining me well, out. Wait, at wait a minute. Haven't you learned from Barry Trotz not to reveal lineup secrets in advance? What are you doing? No, no. You know what? No, no, <laughs> the, the baseball managers tell you they're starting pitcher oh, okay, five days right. in advance, and the world <laughs> has got – the earth has managed to circumnavigate the sun – for, for 150 years with managers telling people who their starting pitcher is. It's lunacy. Okay, it, okay. it is lunacy. Okay, we're okay. You can reveal our lineup. It's well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, other than him doing this out of habit and stuff, what competitive advantage is there? Like, are the two goalies different? I mean, are there different game plans from the opposition? Like, if our Lamops in, we're going to play this. Being an old school guy about it. I, well, he's he's also taking orders from Lou, I believe. But um, but no, but Barry didn't do it in Washington either. And look, I, I, and I'm a little surprised because Barry will tell you we're going with the same skaters and a Russian and net. I would think if I'm the opposing coach, you got to shoot on the net anyway. So you know who cares what? Bo- I want to know which skaters are playing. I, I think that's a bigger reveal personally, yeah. but anyway, I, I interrupted you. I think you were going to ask a fan question. So go ahead. Yes. Let's yeah. Let's uh, talk about quickly. Neil, what was the atmosphere like in, in, in the building last night? You know, you, you wrote about it in, in your column. It was, it was weirdly loud, and I say weirdly loud for two reasons. One, you know, 6,800 people is a lot more than 1,400 people, and it was very noticeable. Uh, the Let's Go Islanders chance, the This Is BS chance, the Jerry, Jerry, Jerry chance, that's all been missing, and it was all wonderful to be a part of. And it was also weirdly loud because, as I put up on Twitter, it was like listening to a incorrectly tuned stereo because all the noise was coming <laughs> in your right ear because that's where the vaccinated sections were and the non-vaccinated sections were still these, you know, you know, sparse little, you know, outcrops of people. But Neil, what, what, what did you take from the game and, and what are you taking into game four as far as what the crowd can do? Okay. First of all, you know, even in normal times, crowd crowd noise is based on what's going on on the ice. So obviously, when they were down three one, people were quiet and then angry. Um, and in the third period, everyone was engaged. So yeah, the fans did a great job. Uh, I don't know, you know, not everyone was wearing a mask, but a significant percentage were. I don't know how they were that loud through a mask. But <laughs> the, yeah, the weirdest thing was this vaccinated versus not vaccinated sides, which. You know, I guess the Knicks are going to have the garden pretty much full uh, this weekend, and that's going to look normal. This looked very weird. I mean, ha- half the arena was looked like it has during the 10% capacity days. It was just very sparse. And then the vaccinated side looked completely normal. So uh, it was amazing how much noise they generated given all these things. But 
but the look of it was just really weird. It was half of an arena. Yeah, you, you know, you, you mentioned the 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 Coliseum got silent, and it did after you know the Islanders go down three one. It was like a deafening science, silence because it had been so loud. You know, after Mayfield scored, and then it just kind of dropped off the cliff. But I also thought it was really good that they were sort of booed off the ice after the second period. And that's something that, you know, we haven't heard in a while. And I think, I think in a weird way, that was good for the players to, to know that they were, you know, playing not so well <laughs> and, and to sit on those thoughts during the second intermission. But, I thought it was interesting how Barry kind of, you know, kind of alluded to that. He said, well, you know, we need positive vibes from our fans and sometimes we might not get off to a great start. And, you know, but you're right. It wasn't just that the fans were, oh, we're just so happy to be here. You can lose 10 nothing, and we don't care. We're just happy to be here. Well, no, they realize it's a playoff game and uh, they're, you know, they were mad. When, but then, you know, the, the team delivered in the third period and after the after the game was over, there weren't any boos because at that point, the fans appreciated the effort, even though they were frustrated. I think the whole, I mean, I can't wait to see it, but I think the whole idea of putting all the fans behind the goal where the Islanders are shooting twice. Yes. Really not, smart. not coincidental at all. No, I like <laughs> it. All right. Well, you've heard what we've had to say, and now we're going to respond to some of your questions with Andrew, Andrew's answers, although Neil and Colin will also be answering, but Mark doesn't have time to come up with a new theme song. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. And we'll start with Joe Hunsberger. And there we, we got a trio of goalie questions here. So let me just read all three of these out and we can all kind of uh, round table discuss. Joe Hunsberger says... Why didn't Barry pull Varlamov? Soft goals. I love Varley, but we should have won last night. And Al Peon uh, says, well, it seems like the goaltending has been less than expected from Varlamov and the team's ability to maintain momentum after scoring is lacking. Could Barry tinker with whom he sends out after a goal? Will Sorokin get the start in a must-win game four? And finally, Michael Fernandez says... They have to go to Sorokin in game four, right? Varley has been not good. And uh, I think we all agree, um, speaking for the group, that, yeah, we would expect Ilya Sorokin to get game four. Do I uh, have a couple of yays on that one? I want to hear what Neil says first, because, Andrew, you're batting what, one for three? Yes, I'm batting one for three. I got, I got last night correct. So, yeah, one for three. Uh, yes, I do think Sorokin will start game four. I think he should start game four. But just real quick about the pulling Varley thing. You know, the, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier. It wasn't like he was just giving up these random terrible goals. And, you know, you can't – and because of the way the game's going back and forth, he, he could not have pulled him out of that game just because of the circumstances. So I think that speaks to what we were talking about earlier about the strangeness of Varley's game. But anyway, yes, I expect Sorokin to start game four. You know, I, I thought an interesting question there, if, I, if I'm understanding it right, um, kind of in, in the middle of asking about the goaltending, Al Peon uh, asked, could Barry tinker with whom he sends out after a goal? And, you know, usually, you know, he, he kind of, you know, wants the Casey Sezikis line out there to, 
unless the Sezikis line was on for the goal, but, you know, to kind of sort of get that identity back. And, and you know, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a good nuanced question. I'm wondering, you know, is there another way to go about this or, or are the Islanders just so locked into the fact that these three guys are either going to, you know, you're going to either fall on the sword with them or you're going to live with them as far as them getting in, getting in and establishing that forecheck. I think Jean-Gabriel Peugeot's line and Brock Nelson's line, I, I think those have been the two best lines that the Islanders have had in this series. I, I think you're right. But, you know, I think, you know, something that, that Barry said in the morning skate press conference uh, before game three uh, is like, uh, we call these guys the identity line because that's the identity he wants the Islanders to have. So I, I think he's making a statement and look, you know, when 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 your back is to the wall, you got to do whatever you got to do. But up until that point, you got to be patient and you got to trust that your system's going to work. And and um, you know, I mean, it, these guys uh, are out there to do, uh, you know, to do the kinds of things that you want everybody to do, right? Because they're they're the ones that do it. They're the ones that that work the walls, and they're the ones that go to the hard areas, and they're the ones that uh, play chippy and and and. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, when you, when you put them out there, um, you have trust that they're going to do those things. And then they also serve to tell everybody else that this is the way you have to play. And, and, and if you play this way, you're going to get rewarded. So I, I understand why, you know, why he kind of sticks with those guys um, in those situations. Uh, but you're right. You know, we're, we're game four now. You're, you're, you're staring at a must win. And, and ultimately, you know, you got to make that hard decision and it's got to be quick as to, you know, can I trust these guys in this situation? All right. I got three more to get through and we're, we're kind of running long on time here. So I, we still got a lot to get to uh, teaser. Uh, Jeff Scott asks, what is the organization's reluctance to play Kyle Palmieri at first, uh, first, uh, first line left wing Leo is fine but given his offensive limitations it's predictably turning out to be an issue I know Kyle has been good on Peugeot's line but but that Peugeot and Wallstrom have been a strong tandem well before the the trade deadline so I think they'd manage with another left winger thanks um I will take this one quickly because I did ask Barry Trotz yesterday um about his line uh configurations and I asked him you know, because he worked very hard uh, the last 10 games of the regular season to come up with combinations that he was comfortable with. And he has stuck with them at least through the first three games of the, uh, of the playoffs. So I asked Barry, you know, whether it, what, what's the balance in the playoffs of keeping these combinations that he worked hard to figure out or because it's a short series now, you know, does he does he rush to tinker, you know, just because he can't afford to lose? And, and Barry, Barry said, you know, early in the series, he's going to have a little bit more patience, but obviously now, you know, backs against the wall. And, and, and I would say down to one staring at what I would call, it's not necessarily a must win teams have come back from three, one, but I would call it a must have game two, uh game four. Um, I think Barry is going to be a little more open to, you know, tinkering with his lines. It's just that, you know, 
Kyle Palmieri, Oliver Wallstrom, and Jean-Gabriel Pajot have been really good together in this series. And, you know, I think it's not so much his reluctance to, to play Kyle with Barzell and Eberle. I think it would be a reluctance to take Palmieri away from Pajot and Wallstrom at this point. But, uh, you know, in 20 seconds or less, uh, you guys can curve, unconcur. Well, you know, the other thing you have to look at, you know, and my my team's former coach used to say this all the time: you make one move, and you don't just affect one line; you affect the other lines. So yeah. If you look at if you look at one of the things that Komarov can do for you on that first line is he can take faceoffs because Barzal, as you pointed out, was what one of six uh, in game yeah. three, right? Um, if you put Paul Mary up there. Uh, you don't have that option. I mean, you're stuck with Barzal taking all the faceoffs. So that's one of the reasons why you would, uh, um, I think, you know, think long and hard before you move Kamarov. All right. Thomas Boyle asks, do you see Barry Trotz and the power play coach, and that would be Jim Hiller, getting fired if they lose this series, really don't understand these lineup decisions? All right. Um, I, I know it was a visual um, that will not come through on a podcast, but the answer was both Neil Best and Colin Stevenson simultaneously smacking their heads. So, <laughs> so no, I, I don't see Barry Trotz uh, getting fired. Um, I look. Jim Hiller in the power play, Jim Hiller was brought in specifically. He had worked uh, with Mike Babcock uh, uh, in Toronto. I believe he worked with him in Detroit as well um, on, on the power play. He was brought in specifically uh, to get the power play going. If you remember, Scott Gomez had that responsibility Barry's first season. It didn't work. There's not been a lot of improvement. So, you know, look, I, I don't think it's an outrageous question to ask whether, you know, every organization does evaluations after the season and, and coaching is part of that. I, I think I think Barry has earned a lot of trust here and, and I don't see him fired, but I, I do see the power play coach uh, getting reevaluated here. Um, but you know what? Uh, I, I think Neil and Collins' answers, although they were silent except for that smack on the head, I, I thought those were probably the two best answers we'll ever give. Um, John Pisano says, I know it won't happen, but you guys are more in tune than I am, but why not put Matt Martin on the power play? They had success and he can't be moved from in front. And just to review, the power play units last night were – uh, Noah Dobson quarterbacking uh, Jordan Everly, Anthony Beauvillier, and and uh, Matt Barzell with uh, Jean-Gabriel Pajot sort of as the net front presence. And, and that's where Matt Martin had been used previously. Um, the other power play unit was Nick Letty quarterbacking Josh Bailey, uh, Brock Nelson, and, and Wallstrom with Kyle Palmieri for the most part being a, a net front presence, although Brock gets his big body uh, there as well. Um, any quick thoughts on Matt Martin going back on the power play? What do you, whether you think it could help? Yes. Yeah. For who? Who do you, who do you, who do you think? Look, you're down two to one. Your power play is what? One for eight, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so something's not working. Uh, and every coach, I think you said, one of you guys said it, every coach everywhere says on the power play, you got to, 
simplify, simplify, simplify. So why not put the biggest body you got in front of the goalie, especially a goalie that, you know, as, as we've discussed ad infinitum is not, um, you know, going to win the business anytime soon. Um, and, and just bomb away. And I think uh, Matt Martin, you know, he's got good enough hands. He had five goals in the playoffs last year. So, uh, you know, he's, he's got decent enough hands. He can tip tip a puck. He can get a rebound. He can certainly set a screen. I think it's worth a try. All right. Well, that is it for Andrew's questions. And now, because I absolutely love this theme music, we're going to ask a couple of Andrew's questions. <laughs> I can see Neil rolling his eyes already, shaking his head. So we'll start with Colin and we'll let Neil like simmer wait, wait, with this wait. for another couple of minutes. Colin, what percentage do the Islanders have of winning this series? Zero to 100%. Ooh. Well, I'm going to say 50, 50%. How about that? 50%. All right. And now we go to Neil Best. Why, why, can't, why don't I get easily answerable questions like Colin gets? I was going to ask you, what percent do the Islanders have of winning this series? Zero to 100%. Oh, thank you. Okay, I can handle that question. 33. 33. And as an added bonus, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Dawkins into the fire was the quintessential 1980s hair metal anthem, yes or no? Um, absolutely not, uh, but I have no idea why. But I, I, I look, I'm good with like maybe 50s doo-wop questions, maybe some jazz and blues, maybe a Stones. But the drum thing, I, I actually, you know, I have heard other drum solos. So I'm going to be comparing you to like Buddy Rich, Gene Krupa. I mean, I'm assuming you're in that category. Uh, no, no. Neil, didn't you see uh, Greg, Greg's uh, tweet last night? I mean, we, we figured this out. We're, we're a three-man group. You're a sting. No, well. And, and that makes Andrew Andy Summers. I, no. I, that's not how I would describe my playing either. Um, look, I, I, I make no bones about the fact that when I was growing up, I wanted to be Keith Moon of the who i i love his style i i love that wild man stuff um i i, I am not talented enough to to be like keith moon but i do make a lot of noise is, is where i am but I, I i would say i'm the quintessential garage band four on the floor type of drummer um there are a lot i mean if if you ask me which drummers i like uh, I was listening to a lot of Chad Smith of the Red Hot Chili Peppers last night. I love Ian Pace of of, uh, of Deep Purple. Uh, you know, John Bonham is amazing. But really, you know, my, my first inspiration was Keith Moon just being all over the place and hitting as many things and as loudly as I can. So that's where I am. I am now in my garage. Uh, I got my kit behind me. I'm going to put the computer down. And I'm sure you'll be able to hear, although you might not be able to see. Maybe if I put it up here. No. Nope. Uh, you know, you know, you know people on the podcast, podcast. <laughs> it's a podcast. They can't see you anyway. 
Well, I, I was thinking about my two Newsday friends. Oh, no, no, no. You don't need to see this. But yeah. fine. All right. Can you still hear me? Oh, we can see and hear you. All right. Here we go. Here we go. For the first and only time here. Why only? Because this is going to be so bad, no one's going to want to tune in again. awful no 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 it, it was good but early on the your mic was having trouble picking up what was going on if mark edits out part of the parts that we couldn't hear at the end we could hear it well oh that sucked it was, you mean it was too loud no, well yeah, i think i think you're kind of disappeared in the middle there it might there. require some editing but what we could hear sounded good all right well listen that is it for episode 88 of Island Ice Podcast. I appreciate, as always, my good friends and now deaf teammates, Colin Stevenson and Neil Best. You can find everything we do, write, say, or play on newsday.com backslash aisles. You can subscribe to Newsday Islanders Text, which is your direct connection to one-on-one -on -one communication with me. Uh, at 631-303-3766. That's 631-303-3766. Or go to newsday.com backslash aisles text. Colin, Neil, thank you so much as always. And thanks, thanks for having me back. <laughs> I, I, I wish we could keep going, but there's practice coming up. So let's practice. Let's, yeah. Practice. All right. We'll, uh, we'll be back with another episode after Saturday's Game 4. And until then, happy drums, everybody. <laughs>